Hello and welcome to Tete Tete by Fresco Media. In today's episode, we have um, a theme revolving around the resurgence of the Syria, the league that used to dominate the 90s and the early 2000s as the best league in Europe and went through a lull in terms of the hype and the attention towards it between 2007 and 2015. But of course, with Juventus's ultimate resurgence and of course, the um, the cyclical evolution of teams like Inter Milan and AC Milan, which experienced a lot of success in the early uh, part of the century. We come on to a season where we are potentially looking at the first real title showdown between Inter and Juventus. Um, I'm joined by Sid, Sid Shaker, and uh, what is your first memory of the Syria? My first memory of the Syria, I think, would be the AC Milan vintage team of the 2007-2008 uh, season. Who of course had the legends like uh, Andre Perlo was still playing at that time. Kaka, Alexander Pato was just breaking into the team. And we all know how I highly rated he was at the time. And of course we know AC Milan are a giant of a team. They've always been one of those teams that even if you don't talk about football or watch football that much. You kind of hear about it here and there. And of course we all know about their uh, previous eccentric owner Silvio Berlusconi. Who was the Prime Minister at one point of the of Italy and uh, we all know the financial backing he gave to the team and um, I think it's only been recent in the sense that once I started watching football as a child and I've been like you know following it uh, avidly that I've started reading and watching these clips about Syria and all and I think for us maybe our generation we just don't realize that um, Syria at one point of time was the Premier League what it is right now in the sense the glitz the glamour the attraction of players to come and test themselves against the best of the best in terms of teams. Um, I think in the 1980s and 1990s, I don't think it's an understatement to say that the Syria were the Premier League of the world. All the players and the best players in the world would uh, want to go to Syria and uh, test themselves out there. And uh, I think each team at that time, it used to be like the Premier League where right now, as you can see, that each team at least has one good star, one good football player that you think, yeah. They're called the Seven Sisters, aren't they, in Italy? Um... Just like the big six of the Premier League, you have the seven sisters in the city. Yeah. Yes, and and that's the thing I think that's been like, you know, very interesting about the fact that uh, you can, I think off the top of my head, I would say, I think, and, and everyone would agree that uh, Juventus, AC Milan and Inter are the three biggest clubs in Italy. And you can also say that uh, alongside AS Roma and Lazio, who you can kind of uh, classify as the... Spurs, uh, I mean, <laughs> forgive me, Spurs fans, in the sense that uh, they've kind of been always the perennial underachievers in the league as such. And I don't think that's a statement that has been made without uh, vindication. But yeah, if you look at the number of titles that they won between each uh, between each other. But uh, I, di- I digress. And I just want to make the point that uh, in the 1990s especially, the... The Italian football teams, I think they broke uh, the transfer record almost seven, uh, ten times. The transfer record in the world was broken ten times in the 1990s and seven times it was by an Italian team. And uh, I think at that time, peak, 1995 to 1998 was peak for Italian clubs in the sense that if they found a player that was good enough in another league, say be it the Premier League or the La Liga or the Bundesliga, they would go and acquire them for whatever price it was. The players also and, wanted to play for these clubs because they were testing themselves against the best at that time. Yeah, because if you look at it as well, the stadiums in Syria have always had a very 
unique vibe to it and also almost a very it's, it's revered by football fans all over around the world in my bucket list and i'm sure it's on yours as well that i really do need to go to the san siro once and i hope i do get to go there before it is kind of renovated or there's even talks about it being shifted to the ground next to the stadium which i hope doesn't happen until i go and watch a game there but there's the whole feel one thing i would say though about the stadiums that you're mentioning just briefly is that um while i was early in the early 2008 2009s when i was just getting to watch syria a bit on television um it just seemed a little bit unattractive for me having you know watch a lot of premier league football and even la liga and bundesliga to an extent i understand the stadium has a lot of vibe to it in the sense that it's quite old fashioned there are there are publicly owned properties and such but it just felt like it was they were playing on a farm you know and uh, i think that 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 exemplified the uh, financial situation of some of the italian clubs and their ownership and how they couldn't deal with the 2008 financial crisis and it's only now that we're seeing um, new stadiums being proposed or being built like for example like you said the san siro they're planning to build a new stadium to accommodate uh, ac milan separately and inter milan separately so actually what you mentioned also makes quite a bit of sense in the sense that a lot of fans also feel that the stadiums have not been renovated and that the stadiums have kind of been left in a dilapidated uh, state at least certain uh, stadiums and uh, i think it's also got to do with the fact that uh, it's coupled the uh, italy's italy seria's uh, decline in you can say that the late 2000s and the early 2010s and it's because also the fact that uh, italy as a country has been affected financially for quite so quite a while now and uh, at the turn of the 2010 decade you could say that most of the teams are owned by local italian investors who of course at one time were quite wealthy and uh, had the money and they definitely backed their team to the hilt but then financially but then i think it has taken a big toll on them and uh, i'll just give you a reference to show the difference between italy teams say at the turn of the decade and say during the 1992 1993 season uh gianluca lentini a player who had joined ac milan for 13 million at the time and the pope imagine the pope had come out and made a statement saying this is an absolute shambles it is a disgrace to the poor this is not done it just talking about the fact that a player had gone for 13 million pounds at the time and imagine right now that uh, uh, the archbishop of canterbury coming out and uh, criticizing say the move of thiago alcantara or even kalidou koulibaly who might just finish his move to man city so i think it just shows the difference in worlds in the last 20 to 30 years that's happened and if you see right now a lot of italian teams are struggling because of the fact that financial difficulties have hit them hard because their investors or owners who are mostly local based especially during the 2010s have don't have the money to back their team and i think that's why if you're looking at it there has been a resurgence along with the fact that there has been more foreign investment coming into the team coming into the league uh, for an for example suning who have inter, uh, who have uh, invested in inter and we all know what's happened right now inter have been buying some class players and they have been spending money and backing their manager antonio conte Just take it back to the early parts of the century where eventually Serie A clubs could not compete financially um you know the rest of Europe and this was mainly down to the fact that television deals did not benefit them as much as they did in the other countries and eventually the losses kept on piling up season upon season the talents would not you know come to Italy as a first choice because it was just not an attractive prospect for them financially 
and all this you know the storm brewed for a while until um of course AC Milan lost the champ- famous Champions League against um Liverpool in Istanbul and then eventually won it two years later but still this was almost like a like the turning point for Italian football because the near- next year the Calcio Pioli scandal rocked Italian football Juventus was sent down the divisions um then eventually by the time the global financial crisis kicked in uh Italy just lost its appeal to supporters to um new fans new markets to footballers themselves wanted to play in the country and i think that marked a turning point in the sense that juventus having been demoted down the divisions eventually started a rebuild and of course we have to thank them for the resurgence of the serie a in general because from being a club that was dwindling down third and fourth division they have now become the only super club in world football that is from italy at the moment um i also just want to share one interesting uh, fact here is that ever since ac milan won the champions league in 2007 for a period of from 2007 to 2015 there was only one italian team that made the quarter final stage in the champions league and i'm sure you can guess which team that was but still that's been that's that's i'm actually quite shocked by the stat imagine between 2007 and 2015 that's almost 8 years that only one italian team has made it to the quarter final stage let alone the semi finals in the champions league and i think i think that's done a disservice to the stature of this league and i'm sh- and it shows that how far they had fallen from the apple tree and now it's 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 good to see that they're getting back to at least a semblance of what they were 15 to 20 years ago you have you you just mentioned that that um that barely any italian teams have represented um the country in the champions league or the latter half of the champions league but one team that has reached a final on more than one occasion is juventus over the last 7 or 8 years um they made famous the 352 under antonio conte on from 2012 till 2016 really um conte changed the the ethos of the club really they became you know from being a challenger along with the milan clubs to being the sole favorite of the serie a they were like the dominant force in italy again and um they had that confidence and they had that swagger about them that meant that the serie a was almost won by default and they just looked at the champions league year upon year similar to how psg look upon the champions league every year because now they don't have any competition in france per se but this season changes everything for uh, juventus we'll talk about that in a bit but what do you think about conte and juventus in the early part of this uh, past decade i think it's a fair statement to make that antonio conte has changed juve for the better and in the sense has played an exceptionally big role in juve's past in the last 10 years and as well their future i mean Antonio Conte won 3 in a row for Juventus and let's not forget this is coming after say 6 7 years of the Calciopoli scandal that sent Juventus to Serie B and rocked Itali- Italian Just for our viewers who don't know what the Calciopoli scandal is can you give a bit of context uh, Calciopoli scandal was the match fixing scandal in 20- 2006 and it hurt Serie very badly its champions at the time Juventus were sent packing to Serie B by AC Milan Lazio Fiorentina and Regina were all dog points It was really bad at the time and even imagine Juventus general manager Luciano Moggi was banned for life. Of course, they would recover in the sense Juventus would recover from what happened and they would come back immediately. They did bounce back but let's not forget that at the time when it did happen, quite a few of the stars left Juventus and I don't blame them. Like a lot of Juventus fans are uh, saying that Zlatan betrayed them. Uh, Patrick Vieira who had just joined from uh, Arsenal had left them after a year. Uh, you can't clear you can't blame them these are players who are playing at the highest level who want to compete for the 
biggest trophies out there and if you're going to waste a year you never know in football what's going to be your last year what's going to be your last year when you're at your peak and uh, credit to uh, Gianluigi Buffon uh, Alessandro Del Piero just to name a few who stayed with Juventus and made sure and were part of the journey back into Serie A which is almost immediate the next season but coming back to Calciopoli as a scandal as a whole this implicated Juventus and several other teams of having match or taking part in football match fixing and of course a number of telephone interceptions showed relationships between team managers and referee organizations and of course we all know how bad that can be and the consequences were terrible and Inter were awarded the Serie A titles those two years and so there's there's always been that whole debate between the Juventus fan base and the Serie A fan base of who's of whose uh, of those two titles who do they belong to as such so yeah that's always been a big part of the issue coming back to antonio conte i think uh, antonio conte did uh, juventus a huge favor by take after by taking over uh, juventus in 2011 and kind of changed the face of the club for the next 9 uh, years you can see even now see the effect of antonio conte because i think it's a sheer willpower and personality that reverberated throughout the club and helped them to be what they are right now I think just on a on a joking matter um Conte might have changed the face of Juventus but we need to applaud the guy who changed his hair I think the hair transplant was very <laughs> important in his career and his profile as a manager shout but, out to Eva Banega um, I think for <laughs> for Inter to win the um, the Champions League in 2010 and uh, of course the treble in that year it kind of marked the end of an era for Italian football um Conte came in and brought that feel factor back about Italian teams and how they mastered the art of defense we all remember the bbc at the back for juventus with uh, bonucci barzagli and kelini um spearheaded by gianluigi buffon at the back and it was almost an impenetrable defense they were rock solid they kept on grinding out clean sheets and that was almost the outlook of italian football for the longest time that if you had to go to play in italy you had to be um it was very hard for you to score goals and i remember people like Paolo Maldini who was one of the legends uh mentioned that Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi wouldn't score that many goals uh if they were playing against the early Serie A defenses um so a lot has to be said about how the Serie A has changed and how Antonio Conte has been kind of at the forefront of it where he's not just focused on the defensive part of the game but also in terms of going forward and having a style associated that has been adopted by people like Max Allegri and more recently Andrea Pirlo who we'll get back to after this break. Inter versus Juventus or more pointedly Antonio Conte versus Andrea Pirlo the master versus the apprentice. Uh we all know that uh, Andrea Pirlo has now replaced uh, Maurizio Sarri as the manager of Juventus Football Club. and uh, i guess to say that it has come a bit of a shock and let's not forget that he was just appointed as the under 21s manager in juventus uh, maurizio sarri's uh, poor performance in the champions league has kind of written his death will and uh, i think that and uh, andre pirlo at juventus personally for me i just don't see like i'm not seen enough for me to make a judgment on andre pirlo who knows he might just be the next zidane who might just make them go on to win three champions leagues in a row you never know but i just don't think that this is this is the 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 madrid team at that time that zidane took over and the juventus team that andre pirlo are taking over right now i think are two worlds apart in the sense that juventus have won the serie a for the last eight years in a row and let's not forget that 
they have almost had a core of players that have been the same throughout these title wins. And I think most of the squad is past 30 or at least past the age of 28. And I think they're in need of a massive overhaul. And that's where I come to Inter, where you uh, you can speak about in, in a minute, where I feel that uh, this is prime opportunity for Inter Milan to kind of wrestle back the title of being the champions of Syria from Juventus finally after a decade of being a sleeping giant in the league. And I think uh, Antonio Conte, as you already know, my prediction is that Antonio Conte and Inter Milan are going to win it this season. Not because that Juventus are going to be bad and Andre Pirlo is going to be a bad manager. But I just think that this is going to be a transitional period for Juventus after, of course, eight years of massive success. So I do think the fans also do expect it and are going to be fine with it. Just that the team and Andre, Andre Pirlo as a manager needs to show what kind of philosophy he's going to bring and what kind of ideas he has for the team in order to take them forward for the next three, four I think seasons. we need to put the whole title race into perspective here because we're talking about a Juventus that is being challenged for the first time in the recent history uh, for the Serie A title. And this is not an Inter that is a pretender. This is a real contender. They showed the promise last season. And you can probably say that, you know, they lack the experience to really grind out the games during the Christmas period. But... It seems like this year, they've with the signings of Ashraf Hakimi, with Alexandra Kolrov slotting into defence, with Arturo Vidal um, managing to find a place in midfield, they have real title-winning experience. Um, with Inter's past troubles with Antonio Conte, which was well-documented before the Europa League final, I think this is almost his last chance, really, at Inter, where he might just win the league and leave, just like he did, or he was... He planned to do a Chelsea and eventually left a year later. Um, but the more fascinating point is that Andrew Pirlo and Conte are good friends. Uh, Pirlo admires Conte and he attributes his um, resurgence over his latter part of his career to Antonio Conte's uh, mastery. Um, even in, even as recently as February, he praised Conte's ideology and he said that um, Juventus might have the better individual players, but as a team, as a collective, Inter under, Inter under Conte was far superior. And I think this season it could be, you know, highlighted a bit more because Juventus, for the first time, have some challenge. They have a new manager as well who's leading them through this challenge while Inter have the guys who are there for the one or two seasons that have the sole objective of wrestling back the Serie A title. And I think it's also not one of those traditional storylines of, say, for example, uh, Austin Wenger versus Sir Alex Ferguson or uh, Pep Guardiola versus Jose Mourinho at La Liga when they were at Madrid and uh, Barcelona and Madrid respectively. I mean, it's t- Andre Pirlo once stated that he thinks Antonio Conte is a better coach than Arrigo Sacchi, and that's 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 not a small praise. I mean, it says that for those viewers who don't know what Arrigo Sacchi, he's considered the greatest Italian manager ever in Serie A history. He's the one. And also, he's the uh, mentor for Jurgen Klopp. Yes. So you can see how revered he is. Let's not forget that he was a coach of the vintage Milan team of 1988 to 1992 where they won it uh, three times in a row, the Champions League, as well as titles galore. So, that's no small praise. And to see that uh, mutual respect and admiration between a player, an ex-player right now who used to play under Antonio Conte, his counterpart right now, it's going to be a very interesting subplot during the title race. And I do hope to see a little bit of uh, barbs aimed at each other in the press conferences, but I expect it to be minimal. And this is kind of weird because in the sense that Juventus and Inter Milan have a extremely hostile rivalry with each other. 
And I think that's also going to play a part in how the title is going to be decided. And we all know about Antonio Conte and his antics on and off the pitch. Just getting to this um, title battle, really, a little bit tactically, uh, we're expecting Pirlo to kind of copy his mentor in the sense that he employs a three at the back. Uh, we saw in the first game that he employed a 3-2-5 formation where uh, your um, one of your favourite players, Aaron Ramsey, <laughs> was getting a lot of chances. He was the man of, ma- man of the match in the game. And it's a big transition for Juventus because they've been settled with that. Um, again, with the three at the back, but of course, they've, they've had so many ins and outs in terms of personnel and managers that it's hard to see how Pirlo gets this style across very effectively at the start. So there could be a few blips along the, along the way. Whereas Inter is very settled. You have the perfect players for the perfect positions, you know. I think Lukaku's given them such a big um, boost in terms of how they play, how the wing-backs move forward and use him as a focal point to uh, hit balls to him. And his hold-up play has been exemplary. I don't think you can, you can even doubt the effect that he has on a team when he has that level of hold-up play. And another good season for Lautaro Martinez where he scores around 10-15 goals. And I think they... Inter will outscore Juventus as well, even though Juventus have uh, Cristiano Ronaldo in their team. It just seems like Inter have more goals and probably a bit more experience about them than Juventus do. I think uh, on paper, if you look at it right now, I personally prefer Inter's starting eleven because I do think that Juventus have kind of uh, a lot of players have left the team. As At the same time, I think the level of the couple of players, especially I think Chiellini, who... I think it's been pretty obvious for the last year or so. His level of performance has kind of come down. He also had that nasty injury two years ago or a year ago, if I'm not too uh, wrong. And uh, if you look at Inter's team, they have kind of depth right now all over the pitch. And that midfield of Barea, Brozovic and Sensei for the last season were, were really good. But then add to that Arturo Vidal right now as well. And you can play Christian Eriksen, who's had time now to bed into Italy and the surroundings and of course with the fact that Perisic has come back from just winning the Champions League and the treble with uh, Bayern Munich coupled with the fact that Achraf Hakimi who I still cannot believe I cannot believe that Madrid sold him to Inter Milan he's going to gallop enjoy I'm going to enjoy watching him gallop forward on the right wing oh he's going to be he's going to be so exciting to watch honestly if you if you want to watch a Serie A game you should watch Atalanta against Inter because it'll be goals galore and probably <laughs> wing backs will be the most exciting players on the pitch. And yeah like even the back line of Bastoni and Stefan De Bruyne and unfortunately right now Skriniar who shares kind of things that he's uh, been on the decline for the last year or two but to still have that kind of depth in that team I do think that uh, Antonio Conte is primed to win the title this season but I also want to state that I'm a huge Ronaldo fanboy. I think that he has that one season left where he produces something absolutely magical. And I can see that happening this season. And I do hope it happens just in order to make sure the Serie is that much more interesting to watch. But yeah, I do think it uh, it's interest to lose right now. So it was Atalanta from Bergamo, a very small city and a club that hasn't been at the upper echelons of the Serie A that made it to the Champions League quarterfinals to everyone's delight. And, you know, it was almost a heartwarming story. The fact that the worst affected city in Italy from COVID um, had their representation and almost 
knock PSG out of the Champions League. Of course, if it was not for PSG's depth in the squad and Chopo Moting's last-minute goal, Atlanta would have gone through the semi-finals, after which I would have probably backed them to win it. But um, their rise hasn't been very, you know, it hasn't been a sharp rise. It's been a gradual one ever since Gasparini took over as the manager. They've been making steps year upon year. And of course, last year might be, in my opinion, the end of that cycle. But it's interesting to see because they've kept most of the players. They've added Alexei Miranchuk, the Russian uh, forward who was netted in almost every game for Lokomotiv Moscow's previous club. Um, they have lost Timothy Castagna to Leicester City. He's been a great fantasy Premier League pick the first two game weeks, as Sid will come on to mention. But uh, what is your outlook on how the Atlanta project will play out this season? I've been pleasantly surprised by the Atlanta team under Gian Piero Gasperi because when I started watching football uh, maybe around 2007-2008, I remember watching Inter quite avidly and then we all know what happened with uh, Jose Mourinho winning the treble and then leaving. And I think for two, three years there, they had uh, like a revolving door of managers. Petty Tess came in and a couple of other managers who have kind of forgotten. But then one kind of stuck in my mind, Gian Piero Gasperini, who kind of tried to implement the 3-4-3 system at Inter Milan. And clearly it didn't work at the time he got sacked. But I did see something that he was trying to bring, the more adventure to the game. The wingbacks attacking as well as one of the, uh, the forwards uh, dropping a bit deep and then linking play up. And uh, I do think that uh, he's kind of finally gotten his club where he can be free enough to kind of implement the style of play that he wants to and not feel the pressure from the board in order to have the results that kind of backed it up. And I'm very, I'm, I'm looking forward to watching Atlanta this season. I just, and I don't think that they were, a, you, can, you can't call them a fluke because they've not done it just for one season. They've done it for two seasons in a row right now. And I do see them, challenging again around the top four top five top three even maybe who knows and i do think that they have quite a few exceptional players papu gomez who has been fantastic for them as well and of course we all know about luis muriel who has been fabulous for them he has kind of been one of those wonder boys in italian football who were linked to he was even linked to barcelona and real madrid at one time but then unfortunately didn't kind of work out in uh, udinese his form dropped off it tailed off a little bit and I think he has found his redemption story at Atlanta and he's finally showing the talent and the promise that he had portrayed at such a young age. Of course, Atlanta have been the top scorers in the Serie the past couple of seasons. And uh, like you mentioned, Luis Muriel, but also uh, Duvan Zapata, his Colombian com- uh, counterpart, who's also managed to become the, be the top scorer the past couple of seasons. Um, they've lost... Like we, like you mentioned, a couple of players, but they've ma- managed to retain Martin Arun in midfield, Romo Freuler, Mario Pasalic, and uh, Robin Gosens, who've all been linked with moves to bigger clubs. Uh, lots, lots to feel good about with Atalanta. You know that even if they lose a game, they'll give it their all. That they're a team that only knows how to attack, doesn't really care about the defensive side of the game, which is a pleasant um, shock for Italian football. So. I mean, this this is this is the top scoring team in Syria for the past two seasons, and we're talking about uh, them competing with a team that had Ronaldo at the peak. I mean, not peak at least, but Ronaldo in that team. So that states a lot as well. And let's not forget that AC Milan were also no slouches in terms of scoring goals, along with uh, Inter Milan. You just mentioned that the uh, other side of Milan, um, they've had their own problems in the past five or six years since they won the league title with Zlatan at the helm in 2010-11. They, they've had troubles off the pitch in terms of FFP violations, for which they were banned for a season in the Europa League. 
Um, they made big signings like Ricardo Rodriguez, who failed to deliver. Um, they have, of recent, found um, young core of Frank Casey, Ismail Benesser, and Alessio Romagnoli. Of course, Gigi Donnarumma remains the number one between the sticks. But with the addition of Zlatan Ibrahimovic and Ante Rebic in the front, They've been revitalized under Stefano Pioli. 100%. And let's not forget, the key man will always be Ibrahimovic. Whichever team that he walks into. Maybe, except uh, Messi fanboys will state out the fact that he was shunted out of Barcelona because of Messi. But wherever he goes, Ibrahimovic is the number one man. And uh, rightly so. Let's look at it. Let's look at the facts. He's 38 years old. He just scored his first brace of the season last week. And this was his first brace in Syria over 11 years. 11, 9 years. 9 years in Syria. That's his last brace. It just shows that he's aging like fine wine. And talking about AC Milan as a team, I, I have a big soft spot for AC Milan. If you were to say Syria, who would you want to watch? Who, Which team would you want them to succeed? I would say AC Milan just because of the fact that I really enjoyed that team of uh, Kaka when they also had Clarence Seedorf in there. Ronaldinho came to play for a couple of seasons. David Beckham he used to come for the uh, uh, winter breaks in uh, MLS and play for the team as well. And I found them very fascinating. I, and of course, let's not forget Alexander Pato. I think he was one of those golden boys that I would watch in football. And I'd be like, maybe in 10 years' time, I'll be seeing this guy maybe lifting the ball. Door. I mean, I was way off the point. But uh, at the time when he did burst onto the stage, I was quite excited by how he played and the way he looked like he was going to take the footballing world by storm and coming back to AC Milan's midfield part they have uh, I think they have a very good midfield a good balance in that midfield with Ismail Benazir along with uh, Frank Kessie and let's not forget that they did just bought the wonder kid Sandro Tonali who was kind of linked with Inter Milan but then finally he ended up at uh, AC Milan and I'm quite happy with that and yeah what are your thoughts about AC Milan and uh, what do you think their uh, aspirations should be for the 2020-2021 season? I think there are some things that fall in place for certain clubs when they don't expect it to. And I think Stefano Pioli was one of them because they had lined up Ralf Ragnick, who was, the, who was at least the RB Leipzig technical director, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, they lined him up for a few months, even as recently as March and April. He was the man who was tipped to get the permanent job from this season onwards. They were the best team by a mile in the Serie A after the restart. And it just... It was kind of a surprise to everyone in the sense that no one expected them to even qualify for the Europa League because they were languishing around 9th or 10th in the table when the, when the restart ha- started. Um, but in terms of aspirations going forward, they are in the Europa League this season, uh, albeit narrowly. They had to beat Bodo Glimp by, I think it was 3-2 or a 2-1 result. It was very nervous. But with Zlatan Ibrahimovic spearheading their attack, and you'd possibly think that he has only another season really. But you never know, it's Zlatan. He could possibly go on for another 5 or 10 years. But it seems like he's there to bridge the gap between today's uh, front line and tomorrow's for AC Milan. Because defence in the midfield seems prime for another 5 or 6 years as a unit. And that's why I see them maybe challenging for the Serie A in a couple of years' time with the right players, with the right recruitment, and of course with the right management. Because of course they have their legend um, Paolo Maldini at the helm, but he has been criticised in the past for making big comments and not delivering upon their promises. So, a lot remains to be seen. Of course, we do know that they're also looking to move into the new stadium um, away from the San Siro, which could give them that independent outlook. Um, could also lead the start of a new era for them. So, 
I'm excited to see what they do. Listen, the as long as they have Ivan Gazidis at the helm as CEO, that ball genius, <laughs> they are capable of wonders. Napoli, who are kind of one of the, it's a hipster choice to support Napoli. Of course, we all know how they are with their support and the fact that Diego Maradona played for them and led them to two of their title wins in Syria. And um, we all know, of course, about their ultras and how the Naples area is filled with players. Almost all the people in Naples are avid supporters of Napoli, and they're they're very territorial about their team. So if you are in Napoli and if you are going to watch the match in the stadium do be careful <laughs> but coming back to the team uh napoli as a team i think they kind of peaked maybe 2 3 years ago under marcisari and sarival where gonzalo higuain broke the record for most number of goals scored in a seria season and i do think that their front line of uh, jose caleon along with uh, lorenzo insigne along with Dries Merton and Gonzalo Higuain up front was a deadly combination that kind of terrorized defenses that season and let's not forget that Marek Hamšík pulling strings in midfield along with Alan destroying other oppositions in the midfield area as well and Kalidou Koulibaly just talking about these players you could see that there was a fantastic spine in that team but i do think that they don't have that we all know that Marek Hamšík is not there anymore Jose Callejon has left along with uh, Gonzalo Higuain who went to Juventus the next season and won the title there what do you think about Napoli and its uh, aspirations for the season look i think napoli has been the closest challenger to juventus the past 8 or 9 years um like you mentioned they had that terrific spine with Dries Mertens um Marek Hamšík and Kalidou Koulibaly uh, all well into their 30s at the moment and um Well, they've they've kind of replaced Callejon with Chucky Lozano, the Mexican, who is still yet to deliver upon the promise, partly due to injuries, but also due to form. Um, they've signed Victor Osimhen as their number nine, and I really think he's one to watch. I think if you if you want to put it down to maybe the signing of the season, they've spent a lot of money on him, but I think he has the pace, he has the strength, and he has he's a mercurial forward. You, you think about forwards that can take the game by the scruff of the neck. I think he's one. He showed that. for Lille and we spoke about him in our league on podcast um but in terms of napoli this season under genaro gattuso they did win the coppa italia last season so they want to build upon that and possibly get a bit closer to juventus in the table obviously the top four should be their target but maybe even retaining the coppa italia i think would be a success for them um they have a lot of young players that are still coming through you know they signed diego dem to uh, ultimately replace Alan in midfield uh Peter Zelensky is still growing into that team and Fa- um, uh, Fabian Ruiz the Spaniard is also making a name for himself so a um, lot of young players along with a lot of experience and cult heroes of Napoli and uh hopefully they can get in the top 4 because I would love to see uh Gennaro Gattuso um get that team into the top 4 I think what I'm ex- most excited about this team is Gennaro Gattuso being appointed as a manager of course we do know how he fared last season and i mean he's one of those player like what are those players who you have heard about even if you've not watched for these younger viewers out there about how he's been an explosive combative but highly competitive player when he used to play for ac milan and i do think but there is one interesting facet to that isn't it is that he doesn't you would associate his managerial style with his playing style but they're like two poles apart they're not really he doesn't really he, manage like he plays yes. like he doesn't you know 
doesn't set, a, set his team up to attack the whole game or be as explosive as he was in his playing day. That's true and I do think that's the mark of a good coach because I do feel that he has kind of also adjusted to what he has at Napoli and I and I look at it and I see that you know I hear a lot of people saying that you know as a coach you should never waver for your from your uh, ethos about what you feel how the player, team needs to manage but then if you're a manager walking into a team and then at the time that's what you have you are not able to buy in the players that you need I think if you adapt yourself a little bit to the team and may, in order to ensure that you get the best out of the players in the correct system. I think that's the mark of a great manager and I do see signs of Gennaro Gattuso kind of adjusting what he wants to do with the team long term coupled with the fact that what he has in the short term and I do expect them to of course challenge around the Champions League spots. I personally hope they make it into the Champions League spots but as you can see Serie A is becoming more and more difficult at least in the midfield area with, along with Atlanta, AC Milan you can talk about Lazio, who had Ciro Immobile, who we'll just come on to in a little bit's time. And, of course, AS Roma. So, yeah, I do see them finishing in the top four, maybe top five. So, the Roman clubs, that is Lazio and Roma, who share the Stadio Olimpico, have had their own problems over the last couple of decades, really. Um... Roma, you could say, had their high point when they reached the Champions League semi-final a couple of years ago. Um, that team has since moved on and they've kind of signed a lot of youngsters under their previous sporting director, Monchi, that haven't really played out other than Nicolo Zaniolo, who's now been ruled out for most of the season with an ACL. Um, Lazio, you could say, had the best shot at a Serie A title last year. Uh, they came close. They were leading the table until Christmas. Ultimately, after the restart, they didn't have the depth in the squad to match the likes of Juventus and Inter Milan. Um, what is your take on the troubles and the positives coming from Rome at the moment? I think Lazio, you should see the 2018-2019 season, they had an 8th place finish. And if you were to tell them that they were going to be challenging, okay, they didn't exactly do challenge them, but they kind of, at the end of it, went and almost challenged uh, Juventus and Inter Milan for the top two spots. If you were to have told Lazio fans at the time that they would be challenging for the top two, I think they would have bit your hand off. And I just think that they it's shown the progress that they have shown over just a period of one year. And I think a lot of credit needs to go to Simone Inzaghi. The less heralded Inzaghi in terms of the brothers. We all know about Pippo Inzaghi, who was an absolute legend for AC Milan and the goals that he scored. But clearly, Simone Inzaghi is winning the race between the brothers in terms of management. And we all need to... Well, I'm not so sure. They're going to meet each other, aren't they? Because Pipo Inzaghi has taken over the newly promoted Benevento. So, they're going to face each other. <laughs> that's true. That's true. You never know. Maybe Filippo comes out on top with this as well. But coming back to Lazio, I think uh, their midfield has been absolutely superb with uh, Sergei Milinkovic-Savic, who has been linked to Manchester United, Tottenham and even Madrid at one point of time to maybe take over the Luka Modric role. And... Uh, as you would personally know very well, Luis Alberto, who has been fantastic for Lazio over the last two years. So I thought you were going to say Liverpool there. Ciro <laughs> <laughs> uh, Immobile, I mean, he's just been breaking records left, right and centre. And I think a lot of people wrote him off after his... Uh, you could say it was a flop. Yeah, it was a flop when he was at Borussia It was definitely Dortmund. a flop at Dortmund, for sure. But then yeah. there are certain players who just don't fit certain teams. And there are certain players who also need that uh, 
comfort of being maybe in the in the in the country as well and the language that they are used to and we have so many examples in football of that happening but uh, just coming back to Serie Immobile to challenge Cristiano Ronaldo for top scorer in the league i think it's just a fantastic achievement and uh, if they have any ambitions going into the next season we all can agree that it's going to rely heavily upon Serie Immobile and his very broad shoulders and i do think that he's going to have again a fantastic season for lazio of course on the other side of rome however roma are not looking at such a rosy picture although they did have a new investment with the friedkin group taking over majority stake in the club and that is a welcome sight or a welcome bit of news for rome uh, and roma fans in general because they're also another club that's looking to build their own stadium and finish it up soon um they've they did sign Monchi as the sporting director with an eye for being one of Europe's elite in the next five years. But unfortunately, that project seems to be delayed a bit further. Um, in terms of the strike force, Edin Dzeko has carried the team for a few years now. And he was almost destined to join Juventus until they swooped in for Alvaro Morata. So, um, I think there are more troubles than you know positives or things to look forward to with Roma this season. I think amongst the seven sisters, they seem to be the most weak um, team at the moment in terms of personnel and in terms of the scale of project that they're trying to accomplish. We've spoken about how the Syria is looking to return to its pre-2005 levels, but that seems a bit of a fantasy for this season at least. But there is that trajectory that we're seeing with the league and the teams like Inter, like AC Milan, the the legends of old, really, that are coming back to uh, the forefront of European football. Uh, we're looking forward to the Serie A. We're looking forward to the, the title race that should shape up to be just more than two teams going at it. There are a lot of storylines being drawn between these two teams, Inter and Juventus. And of course, who can forget AC Milan, the dominant force a decade ago, could be back to its perch yet again. Um, Sid mentioned that he was going for a Inter victory in the Serie A title race and I agree with him because it just looks like this is Conte's year. This is the year that Conte brings down the title. The Serie A has gotten through its first week of action and we still have another 37 game weeks to go. Uh, we hope that you follow us. Stay tuned for more every Friday on Tinternet by Fresco Media. Until then, goodbye.